Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Greetings! Today we're doing a Q&A video because we've been hard at work on the scamp doing some major maintenance and repairs. We're getting all ready for winter camping. We're here at my parents' house where we've been working on the scamp. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And the scamp is almost done. It's pretty exciting. First question. If someone wanted to live like you, what would be the first steps for them to get started? Cutting expenses, learning yeah. how to stop spending money. That's the biggest one. So just stop the outflow of cash and cut down your monthly expenses as much as you can. And figure out, once you are on the road, how will you build your momentum to make some sort of money? Because I think it's a lot better long-term strategy to do that than just to save up a bunch of money and then yeah. run out and then you got to go back. And then, I don't know, that's just a lot of yo-yoing. So you think figure out a plan or a strategy for making money once you get on the road. Yeah. And don't act like it's people kind of treat it like they do with solar power where they're like in their house, I use X amount of kilowatts a month. So now I need that much solar power instead of doing that, like rein in your power usage and then accommodate that versus trying to accommodate your like gluttonous power usage. I think the same goes for money. So as you are, as you're figuring out how much money you need and like figuring out how to make passive income, any, if you're making $10 a month, pass relatively passively or on a recurring clip, then that's excellent. Don't be sad if you're not making a thousand dollars every month out of the gate. I think it's easy to be discouraged when you're making just a little bit, but every little bit stacks up over time. Well, and you need so much less when you're living like this. If you do it how we do it. I think even before getting on the road, cutting expenses, and then camping. Yeah. Go and camp. Learn how to do your daily tasks, cooking, sleeping, um, not in a house with power and with gas stove. Just do everything as minimal as you can from the start and see if you like it. And just with a tent... And maybe even sleep in the back of your car if it's big enough. And just don't go out and buy a bunch of gear just to go try it. Just kind of send it with what you got and see how that goes. And then that way you'll figure out how little you really need to thrive. Any scary stories being out and about lately? Mm, we mentioned this in the last video. When we, we stopped on the side of the highway in, I guess it was eastern Colorado... And saw some prickly pear cacti that looked like it was ready to harvest. So we hopped out and we're seeing it ended up being overripe, but we were pulling off the fruits and trying them out. And we noticed a couple people drive by, and then a guy, a couple guys got out of their trailer, kind of like a mobile home, I guess, and were holding rifles over their shoulder, not over their shoulders, but just like on a harness and watching us. And that was a little bit unsettling. So we just kind of played it cool and saw them and waved and they waved back. And then we got back on the road. They weren't threatening. They weren't like acting as though we needed to get out. But I think they were confused. Like, yeah. What are these two people doing looking at the cacti in front of our property? It was very much public because it was right next to a railroad. 
So it wasn't like we were on their land, but yeah, and we were not close to them really, and it wasn't. It was weird and uncomfortable, but at no point was I like threatened by them really. It was strange though. When we were driving away, we were like conspiring as to what the hell could have been going on, and I don't know. I tried not to think about it too much, but yeah, that was weird. What's your favorite season for scamp life and also for general vibes? Favorite season? Yours has always been summer, right? Spring. Spring and summer. And then in the scamp, it's become... Winterfall. Spring. Well, summer and winter. It depends on where we are. Yeah, totally in the scamp. Yeah. But mostly winter. (laughs) (laughs) The wood stove has made winter awesome. And hopefully we'll get to snowboard some this winter. And we have our bikes all rigged up, so I think fall, late fall, will be a really nice time of year. I love the spring when everything starts sprouting and budding, but it's also really rainy and windy in the spring, so that's not very easy to work with. What temperature do you think is the easiest for us, or most comfy? 60? 60s? Like 60s during the day and low 50s, high 40s at night? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like the most comfortable sleeping weather even into the low 40s is still super comfy even without the stove to sleep in even in the 30s yeah it's comfortable once it gets down into mid 20s then it's time to fire up the stove that's when we start worrying about our electronics right which we will talk about in a minute but with us three in camp we can sleep in really cold weather comfortably mm-hmm. any bear scares since you've lived in the wild mm, the only time that was like Yikes. Well, there were two times that we were like, yikes. When we were in Montana and Camp was barking under his breath and I looked into this ultra-dense forest and there was just a black bear staring back at us about 20 yards out. And I said, oh, there's a bear. (laughs) (laughs) And I turn and run. Just a few steps. Yeah. I was like, Elsa, no, no, no running. (laughs) (laughs) And then we walked back to this camp, uh, pretty hurriedly and kept glancing back. That's a Montana high bear area. There were grizzlies there too, but... No, no, it was Wyoming, really close to Yellowstone, actually. There were grizzlies there too, but this was a black bear, I believe. So that was a little spooky, but it didn't... I don't know, it was pretty mellow about the whole encounter. And then in Colorado, we had left camp in the scamp, and a bear came up and went through our outdoor gear and left like a sliding paw print on the side of the camp, and that was pretty spooky, especially because camp was there. But I have a feeling camp barks when he sees bears. I mean, you would hope so. I just picture him like, oh, God. We had seen that bear earlier that day, so we had closed the windows and everything. It wasn't like we left the screens open. No. But I feel like bears are more prominent in areas that are more highly populated. Mm -hmm. There's black bears. Well, I guess grizzlies, too, or brown bears, but the... We've seen them mostly around other campsites that are heavily trafficked, where people leave out food and there are garbage cans and that kind of stuff. Because when we're like way out in the wild, a bear probably hasn't been rewarded there, so they're more or less likely to sort of frequent where they're humans. Rewarded by getting somebody's food. Right, right. So it's sort of counterintuitive because you would think the further you are out the more often you would see bears but it, in our experience it's been the opposite I mean, it just also depends on how you are keeping your stuff mm-hmm. like if you keep all of your food out on a table then they're going to come check it out and get food and then they'll come back and we 
act differently when we are around bare areas. Yeah, we lived completely differently in Wyoming and Montana. Yeah. We had our whole kitchen in the car that we would cook from in the car. And we cooked different things, Mm -hmm. like not fragrant things as much. And nothing, no food scraps ever went on the ground. No liquids went on the ground. We were very careful. Kind of fun. It added a whole new adventure. It's kind of eerie being in grizzly country. But black bears, I honestly, people ask about bears all the time, but I'm more uh, wary and spooked by mountain lions than Mm -hmm. black bears. Uh, Just the fact that they could be stalking you anywhere that you are is alarming. That six minute video of that guy (sighs) running from a, or backing up from a cougar. Yikes. Yeah, that is crazy. But it's interesting because you see in that video how intelligent they are. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just cold-blooded mindless killers. They're like calculated. Giant cat. Yeah. And they're very intelligent. And in those interactions there is actually an interaction. But I guess the spooky part is the times that you don't see them. I wonder how many times we've been in the vision of a mountain lion and had no idea. I've never seen one still in person. Yeah, I hope not to, unless it's at a safe distance. What kind of axle did you put on, and did you replace the wheels and tires? We went ahead with the stock scamp axle, which is a torsion axle, and that's what was on the scamp for the last 32 years of its life, so we figured that that's fine. And it was our, the old one was really sagged out because it has a rubber like gasket in between, and that allows for some twisting or torsion is why it's called that. So ours was super corroded and like not functioning. So it didn't have any real play in the suspension. Really stiff. Yeah. So now we figured if it made it through all of the hell that we put it through with a blown out torsion axle, then a new one will probably function just right. And we actually, we replaced the wheels, but we put on the same tires that we already had because they're still pretty fresh. A lot of people, when they replace their axle, they upgrade to 15 inch wheels but we did 13 because yeah but i feel like 15 is just easier to come by so maybe that's why people do it and because a lift a slight lift yeah but the scamp still has quite a bit more clearance than the subaru does and my thinking is if we have smaller wheels we can put on bigger tires eventually and then we can gas them down a little bit when we're off-roading so that the tire has some squish in it but something to consider with if you're looking to deflate your tires a little bit off-roading is that the higher the tire pressure, the more weight you can theoretically carry because the sidewall doesn't compress. So if you're at capacity as far as like weight load goes, you want as much tire pressure as you can get. So I don't know where the balance is between deflating the tires to have some give when we're off-roading and having enough air in them to sustain whatever load we have in the tires like i think if we were going to gas them down at all we would have to get higher rated tires like a class d or whatever they are so lots of things to consider but we went with the same smaller (laughs) we went with the same smaller uh wheels and we got a new set but eventually we'll probably get slightly bigger tires and that'll give us a little more clearance and a little more give we kept the old tires yes why? Just because they still had life in them. And I, we were doing, or I was doing a lot of research on different things, and I didn't want to dive into what the optimal tire choice is right now. 
I just figured we'd save that since they still have life in them and they've proven to be effective. And they still have life in them because it's not like we're in a van driving around all the time. The scamp is parked right. most of the time. Van life versus scamp life. And van life versus our scamp life. There's no real typical way, I don't feel like. Like everybody does it slightly different, but let's just answer it from a stereotypical perspective, right? So like what is stereotypical van life and then what is it that we do, I think is how we can answer it because it's hard to pin down because everything's so loose. Everybody that has a van doesn't live like this, but we'll just kind of describe how we see van life, I guess. Or how it would be for us. Well, I think we would do it different. Okay, okay. Yeah, I just think stereotypically like what we see and what people talk about and how they generally live in their vans. Let's just answer that. Seems like van life is more of a movement lifestyle. Vans make it easier to stealth camp. So there's a lot more vans in uh, bigger population areas because you can stealth, you can sleep overnight um, in places a lot easier than with a trailer. You can move from place to place a lot easier with a van. And it doesn't take so much to get set up. Right. They're built so that you can have everything ready to go at all times, it seems. So that lends itself to a lot more travel. And a lot of people don't have a secondary vehicle. Like if I were to have a van, I feel like the first thing I would figure out is how to also have a motorcycle of some sort. But a lot of people just have the van, so they can't take their... They can't leave their van and then go to town to get groceries or whatever. They have to drive the van to town and leave their campsite. So then I think that leads to a lot more bouncing around, a lot less like stationary, stagnant, like we do. I think vans, there's a lot more room for creativity in the build. You can customize them a lot easier than trailers. Kind of, it depends. Yeah, I feel like that could go either way. Okay, so that's my stereotypical perspective on what van life is. And I think a lot, how a lot of people do it, it would be more expensive than how we do it because if you're constantly traveling and only staying at a campsite for two nights max and then driving uh, to the next park or whatever it is, then you're going through a lot of gas and there's a lot of uh, flux. Whereas with scamp life, how we do it, we are, we'll go to a place and sort of figure it out and then stay within sort of a hundred mile radius for a while. Um, we use up our 14 day minimum in one forest land area. I wouldn't say minimum. Like we normally stay. Or it, I should say maximum. Yeah. Well, what we'll do if we're going to a new place that we've never been is we'll find a pretty easy campsite in that place, camp there for, I don't know, a couple nights and drive around and kind of vet out the area and figure out where we would like to be. Then we'll find a cool campsite and stay there for a week up to two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we like to sort of float around areas that we like rather than always traveling. Yeah, we don't do long distance trips very often, state to state. And if we do, we like to break them up as best as we can. Or we'll leave the scamp and just take the car if we're going somewhere we don't need the scamp with us and because we can take the car places uh, everything in the scamp is kind of set up like it would be for a long-term camp it's it takes us about 30 minutes to an hour to set up the scamp and to take it down to be travel ready so we can't move very quickly we could we could throw everything in and get her done if we needed to normally we're not in a hurry though and it's easier to take your time because then everything makes sense and then when we unpack 
it's a lot easier if things are sort of organized and thought out as to where they are. And we could build it. We could set it up so that everything has its place, I guess. But we move our kitchen outside. We cook outside. We have a lot of gear that we store outside under the scamp. Now that we got a rooftop carrier and have done some mods inside the scamp and have the coax cable for the WeBoost that is going to be short so it's easier to connect, we've done a number of optimizations that I think will really make it easier to break down and set up camp. So the benefits that I see of having a van, so you can turn the van on. So then you have your alternator, which is effectively, or the van itself is effectively a generator. You can just turn it on and let it idle. And it has heating and cooling, assuming that you have heat and AC. So with a van, figuring out how to accommodate for different weather patterns and stuff, I think would be quite a bit easier because you can just run the van. Mm -hmm. So then you have AC and heat built in and power so that you can charge up a supplemental battery or whatever. It's all like self-contained in one yeah. vessel. So, and your protection from the elements is excellent. So those are sort of the benefits of the van. Quick movement. Yeah. And if you're like a solo female traveler, if you're scared of people, which is rational in some sense, then having a van would be nice because you can always just jump in the front, start it up and blast off. Mm -hmm. So benefits of the scamp are that we don't have to take our whole house into town with us to get groceries. It's nice to be able to have things set up. Since there are two of us too, it's nice that one of us can go to town and get groceries or go to the coffee shop and the other one can hang at the scamp. It's nice that if we have a car problem, we still have a house. Yeah, that's happened a few times where we had to leave this leave the Subaru at a repair place and then I would ride my bike back to the scamp where you could still camp at the scamp. And it's nice that if we want to go do things, go bike ride or kayak or something, we don't have to take everything that we own with us mm -hmm. we can just leave the scamp and then drive to an area uh, i think there's a question soon about how we leave stuff maybe we could just answer that now what do you do to secure things while you're in town like solar panels has it ever been a concern it's always i'm always thinking about it i think one of our primary protections is that the scamp is old and tiny and doesn't look super nice so it doesn't look like it would be super fruitful to break into it i mean it wouldn't be no it's not because we take all of our expensive gear with us anytime we leave yeah. going to coffee shops and working on our like laptops cameras computers even one of the batteries will normally travel in the car with us because if if we're driving somewhere and we're low on power then we'll take the little lithium battery with us just to top it off and then solar panels we haven't, when we first started this, we would always, every time we go anywhere, bring them into the car or the suit, or yeah, the car or the scamp. But we have been leaving them out. But it's also because we vet out the area really well before we do something like that. It, you can kind of get a good idea of the area. Um, How busy it is. Pretty quickly and easily. If there's a lot of trash in the area, that's probably going to be more high traffic and not a place that we would want to leave anything out. In like our last few spots, though, we had, in total, being two weeks there, we had two people come by. Mm -hmm. We park so far out that it's usually not a concern. Anybody who's going that far out and passes us, they are not out to come steal our stuff. 
I think of it too, if our solar panels are out, kind of like bait. Like if somebody were to steal our solar panels, then we know that the area is sketchy and we should probably roll out. But you know. also our panels are a very specific panel. You can't just yeah. plug those up to any solar rig. And I, mean, I, I guess you can, can't you? Kind of. You'd have to have an adapter and stuff. But they don't look super expensive if you don't know what they are. But they are pretty expensive. All that to say, yeah, it's something that we constantly think about. Um, and we just protect ourselves as best as we can. But we always have uh, enough money saved up to where if we did lose something or somebody did steal something, we'd be able to figure it out. Because it is important to leave our panels out during the day. If, yeah. we're, if it's been cloudy for a number of days and we need to go in town to get groceries. It's, or even work at the coffee shop before all that craziness happened. It's pretty important to leave our panels out and we don't want to attach them to the top of the scamp because that doesn't provide us optimal power collection either in one kind of stationary panel on top. Because we're often parked in the shade. Mm -hmm. And when you lay a panel flat, it's like far less efficient than if you position it perpendicular to the sun. We have a whole really, really awesome and detailed podcast episode about this that we can link in the description and the show notes, I guess, for this podcast that talks a lot more about yeah. that in detail. Does your scamp stay warm and toasty in the winter with your wood stove or just warm next to the wood stove? It stays toasty. It's very toasty. Those compressed logs have been a game changer too. We can't load the stove fully to its full capacity because it gets too hot in the scamp. The scamp is so small. Unless we have punky, crappy pine, mm -hmm. then we really got to work on it. But if we have decent hardwoods or compressed logs, then we have to cut them up into thin pucks or else it'll burn us out. How do you guys store your nice tech gear in extreme winter conditions? This is why we work so hard at constantly keeping the scamp warm. We could do really well in colder temperatures ourselves. Like Even we, down into the low teens. Yeah, we could stay warm with clothes and blankets and be fine and comfortable. But we have all of this tech gear that the batteries would be damaged if they were constantly cold. I don't know if it actually damages lithium batteries, but it discharges them. I would assume that that happening over and over and over again. It's not. I don't think it's good for them. But I think extreme heat is actually mm -hmm. bad for them. Like they can bubble up and lose their charge. But I think extreme cold isn't necessarily bad for them, but it will discharge them. I don't know that that's exactly right. And that's one of the benefits of AGM batteries is they're more resistant to the cold. Really? Versus lithium, yeah. Because, yeah, that's like when you're snowboarding and your phone dies just because it's cold. Whereas a car battery can continue to... Hmm work even in extreme cold to an extent you know it's confusing though because you can let the lithium discharge that doesn't harm the battery like letting an agm discharge to zero percent right. really all we do is keep the scamp warm and sleep honestly like with my devices if it's really cold i'll put my laptop and ipad in the bed with us <laughs> and if we go to town we will bring our tech gear with us and keep it warm in the car it's kind of, it sucks that we have to baby all of our technology, but that's just part of making content and stuff. What do you do when you're cooped up during snowstorms? It's the best time. <laughs> snowstorms are our favorite. Yeah. It's the best to know that nobody's doing anything and we have nothing to do. Yeah, we can't really go anywhere. Well, we could most of the time. We usually will, I don't know, watch movies or do anything inside 
there's something to knowing that everybody else is slowed down that mm-hmm. sort of takes the pressure off of us. Also, knowing that it's snowing outside and having a fire inside is of this 13-foot trailer. It's so cozy. It's just so cool. I love it. And another added variable to this that is a little strange is that YouTube loves snowstorms. So it's always fun to make videos in the blizzards because people really dig them. So it's more exciting to make videos when we're winter camping. But okay, so what do we do in the scamp if we are cooped up and we can't get out? Well, we can always get out. Almost always. Now that we have decent tires on the Subi, we can get out into, even if it's a foot of snow, we can still drive out the next day. Yeah. What do we do if it is snowing? Yeah, and we're just in the scamp, hanging out. Like, you'll craft, bead, crochet, crochet. watch movies, Mm -hmm. as I do, listen to podcast books. You usually play a lot of video games in the winter. Mm -hmm. Watch YouTube. We chill hard and make videos. And go on a lot of walks. Yeah. With camp, because he loves the winter, so it's fun to take him on a few mile walks a couple times a day. And we would love to snowboard, but with camp, that's kind of a complex thing to figure out, but we'll get there. If you could take a TARDIS and go back in time, when you first started this lifestyle, what piece of advice would you give yourself, and what item would you acquire that you wish you had at the beginning? Advice? I guess start the podcast. Would have been cool to have podcasts of when we're just figuring things out and don't know what's going on (laughs) it would have been a fun thing to reflect on kind of like journals what would you what advice would you give yourself i would tell myself that it's okay to be dirty that it's okay you're gonna be all good it's totally fine because that was a pretty hard thing to get used to in the beginning what item would you acquire the item that i would acquire in the beginning would probably be the wood stove because we started this lifestyle in the winter with our mr bummer heater and that didn't work so we just didn't have anything and we didn't have any of our nice blankets or clothes it was really rough but we sent it thinking about that just is like it was too fun though yeah we were having a blast but it was haggard it was so fun (laughs) it was so fun but (laughs) i wouldn't do it again i mean i i I wouldn't say that i wouldn't like if we could go back well because now we know how to not do that right and we have the kit right (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Is it difficult or stressful trying to work remotely with different places you travel to? We have the luxury of not working nine to fives where we have to show up at a certain time. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to work with time zones really. And we create our own schedules. And we so. don't really work as much with other people anymore. So that makes it a lot easier. And when we travel, it's kind of part of working. Being alive in an interesting way and filming that is our job now. Mm-hmm. Which is really strange, but it's uh, pretty awesome. And if we are wanting to move, go on a major trip, that's part of what we're doing. It's like factoring this. all that in. Like, mm-hmm. when will we edit? How are we going to charge things? What will the story of this be like what how what of this do we record how are we gonna make a video of this what do we do since we're at your parents house working on the scamp for a video but it's not that travel is interrupting our work right it was initially when we first started and i was doing a lot of client work for like web development stuff that was difficult it was we didn't have our wi-fi 
Right. And solar was super spotty. So then, and we got, if we got snowed in, it's like, I have no data to work with. We have no power. So I'm like trying to do as much web development stuff as I can using my phone and then just busting my computer out for like a few minutes to do all the code that I can. And it was difficult. I remember one time I was launching a website and you were out of town and it was just me and the mini Cooper in camp. And it was before we had decent solar and I was almost out of solar cause it had been cloudy. And then it snowed like eight inches and we didn't have the snow tires on the mini yet because it was like early October. So I'm snowed in and I'm trying to launch a website like from my cell phone and the client's calling me and I have no power to work with. So I was like running the car to charge the battery, to charge my computer. It was, yeah. So then it was difficult, but now that we have it set up and we're working almost exclusively for ourselves, it's a lot easier to deal with. If money was no issue, would you stick to the scamp you have, get a new one, new type, or would you build and customize your own from the ground up? Like if money was just, didn't matter at all, I want to say I would almost buy a Winnebago Rebel. Yeah, get a van. Keep the scamp. Yeah. Build it up and also get a van. Yeah. Because our kind of dream idea is have land, have the scamp be our house on the land, and then have our van be our travel vehicle. That would be really fun. Our foraging vessel. So we could just go to the coast and harvest all the mushrooms and salmon and fish and stay out there for a few weeks, have our Suron electric bikes be yeah. our transport from the van into town to get groceries, whatever. That'd be cool. But honestly, if we were to get, even though I think the Revel is one of the cooler vans. That's a hefty price tag. Yeah. And I, most of how it's built out, I wouldn't want it that way. So it's like, it'd be better to just start from scratch and build it out myself. Because truly, if we had the money to do it, like, would you actually? No. <laughs> so it's just a fun idea, too, yeah. really. We almost bought a new scamp. It was a 2018. Uh, we almost went and got it in Florida, but then I think they sold it to somebody else. But we would have taken that, gutted it just like ours, but it would have had a new axle, new windows, new, like, the wrap for carpet wouldn't be... It just would have been kind of newer, but we would gut it. But that's effectively what we just did to ours. Exactly. So now ours is effectively new, aside from the windows, I guess, and, and the, the rivets. The floor, everything is 30 years old versus being new. But with a new one, as soon as we got it, we would immediately rip everything out because most of that stuff is just only useful for weekend camping at best. And the storage compartments and everything are... Lots of wasted space. So, so yeah, I don't think we would get a new scamp even if... The only thing is the ceiling height mm, yeah. would be really nice for me to be able to stand up. What if we took the two fiberglass shells and did a lift like people do on buses? That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> like... Like people lift Like put the a bus scamp stops? on a scamp? No, like raise it. Lift the... Oh. Well, I, what I thought we could do too is drop the subfloor. Like three inches or two inches. But then we'd have to lift the axle in some way to get that space well, back. Well, technically, though, the axle is behind the main floor. So we could just drop the main, like, kitchen area floor down a few inches, and then the axle could stay where it is. We just have a little less clearance in that area. Yeah, but it still wouldn't be as low, low as, as the, the fiberglass. Oh. Well, there you go. Yeah. What's Nomad Life like with a dog? 
challenges, pros, cons, what do you do with them when you leave? It's the absolute best having another life with us. If one of us leaves, it's really nice to have another living thing present. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really hard to transitioning to having a dog on the road if you had gotten used to not having a dog on the road. Because there are lots of limitations and things that you have to think about that uh, now to us are second nature. We don't even think about like what are we going to do with camp because it's always... We've never had any other right. option. So we just always have to work around that. Like we were talking about snowboarding earlier. That's something that we haven't gotten to do much since we lived in the camp because what would we do with dog? And when we go to grocery stores, if it's hot, one of us will stay in the car with him. I don't know. There are times that we leave him in the camp, but it's gotten less and less. Because he just likes to come with us. Yeah. Like if we're getting ready to go, he'll hop down and be like, okay, adventure time. And if we're going anywhere for long periods of time, it's to go do something outside where he would come anyway. Right. If we're just quickly running into town, we might leave him in the camp. But the weather has to be right and everything. And if it's like on the warmer side, we'll just put up all, and he has to stay there for whatever reason, or he's just chilling. We'll just put up all the blinds and open the roof vent and put a fan on him. And he does pretty good. But we don't do that if there's any question of if it's too hot. Yeah. Then we just don't go or we take him with us. Right. And if it's cold, we can generally leave him in the car and he's totally fine. If But it's always a consideration for sure. Oh, and with Airbnbs, it would be nice if occasionally we could get an Airbnb just to like do all of our laundry and shower and clean up and edit a video or whatever. Just get an Airbnb for a night. But it's a lot harder to find Airbnbs that allow dogs. Oh. They're a thing. And there are lots of them, but there are a lot more that it would be a lot easier if we didn't have a dog for that. Does Camp get restless on bad weather days when he can't go outside? Mm-mm. He's really lazy. Yeah. If it's raining, he will not be for the whole day. <laughs> like we have to get him and take him outside and make him go pee. And then as soon as he pees, he'll sprint back to the scamp. Dog hair management in the scamp? Please share your secrets. We have none. We don't have any secrets. We, we brush him with a Furminator. When he blows his coat, it's just everywhere. We just fluff out our blankets more and sweep more often. Yeah. But that's all you can really do. Almost daily, we take the sheets and comforter and everything out and fluff them off. And we sweep the scamp often. But even brushing him, it feels like we can never keep up with his shedding. Yeah, if you have a dog in this lifestyle, you just, you have dog hair all mm -hmm. over you, always. Elsa, do you ever miss having your arts and crafts or other projects with you? I do wish that I had all my stuff, but I have made it so that I have condensed forms of my arts and crafts that I keep in just a teeny tiny backpack. There's a lot of stuff that I wish that I could bring but we just don't have the space for it, and I just don't spend enough time on those things to make it make sense to have all that in the scamp. The metalworking and would, jewelry things would be... I would love... It's, I will start metalsmithing as soon as I have the space for it. I would love to tr figure that out in the scamp, but it just is not practical. And I just recently found leather work, but that's also not going to happen in the scamp. And I don't have as many crafts as I do hobbies, but... That's been a thing is when we first started getting rid of all my fishing gear for the most part and really reining that in and climbing gear and even mountain biking gear and we have to be snowboarding very selective gear. of our toys. That yeah. We have. And try to like find crossover uses for things like all the different shoes for different activities and 
it's hard. But we're figuring it out, and having a roof box, I think, will help us to have more space for fun things. Does Baron ever play paintball anymore? Uh, no. I would love to. That's probably my favorite sport. I love playing paintball. I used to travel all over the U.S. and play in tournaments and stuff, and it was it's so fun. I think once we have the space and I can have paintball gear again, I'll definitely play again because it's so fun. Whenever I think about it, I like can't think about anything else. So, How reliable do you find your Signal Boost Tower? Was it your first choice model and brand? How far are the limitations? How far into the middle of nowhere does it help? WeBoost sent us a while ago the RV65, and that was um, the first time really that I had looked into them or considered a WeBoost or a cell booster. I don't even know what's available. The WeBoost is pretty standard, common. I had been paying attention to them for a minute, but they're pretty expensive, so we hadn't really considered it. But then they offered to send us one, and it was like, okay, yes, we'll do that. It got us... The first time that we used it, we were in a no-service area, deep, deep into the mountains, and it lifted us to four bars LTE. So we were pretty sold. Mm -hmm. But that's not guaranteed. It very much depends on how many people are around and using up the bandwidth, um, or how many people are on the towers around us. And it won't make signal from zero signal, generally speaking. Like, if we are within a mile from where we lost signal, then a lot of times we can pick it up because it's a directional antenna and it's on a 25-foot telescoping pole. So I can find the tower and point it directly at the tower, and it has a lot better line of sight than we do on the ground. So if it doesn't have, if there's absolutely no signal at all, it's just totally dead, then it can't do anything to amplify that signal. It can't go through hills and rock walls and stuff. Yeah. So if we are going around a corner where it can't reach the tower or see the tower, then that doesn't work either. Right. But ours is a directional booster. So, and it's the highest decibel level that you can legally have in a stationary unit. So it's about as strong as it could be unless we had a much taller pole and it generally works great. It'll, and it gets us so that we can, cause a lot of times for work we have to have internet. So it makes it so that the generally people can only camp or generally only choose to camp where they have some kind of service. It opens up our availability quite a bit because we can get out further and still maintain cell service. So yeah, it works great, but it's not... Fail-proof. Yeah. And, and since it's not omnidirectional, they have different systems that are omnidirectional, meaning that it'll pick up signal without having to point it anywhere. Uh, you have to set it up. Whereas with the omnidirectional ones, you don't have to point it at the tower. But the trade-off is the, uh, the directional boosters are more powerful than the omnidirectional boosters. So I think it's great for what we do, but it has its limitations. Do you plan on living in a scamp for much longer? What are your long-term living plans? Yes, probably, and we don't know. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> it's hard to plan. We don't really have a plan. I don't see myself living anywhere else anytime soon. Unless we get land, and even then, we would probably still live in the scamp. Yeah. Kids, what happens to this lifestyle if you have kids? They don't just happen out of nowhere. Yeah, you gotta like do some stuff to make it happen. So when you do stuff, be careful about doing stuff and then you cannot have them. So when we do have them, 
our lifestyle will probably be different and we will be more accommodating to the changes that would be necessary for kids. Yeah. What's your favorite music and do you have a Spotify playlist we can check out? I don't necessarily have a favorite type. My two longtime favorite bands are Daft Punk and Gorillaz. I listen to a lot of my Discover Weekly playlist and then just play songs. I like um, beats, like tribal, even Afro beats. I listen to a lot of different things. Um, some like spiritual medicine music, like Xavier Rudd and Trevor Hall and Sot Song and like that genre. I have a playlist for that on my podcast or on my <laughs> Spotify. And then I listen to a good bit of lyrical rap. Uh, I've been listening to Run the Jewels a lot lately. Their new album is excellent. And then some older things that I listen to when I'm in a different mood is like Rage Against the Machine and Tool. I also have a playlist of some of my favorite of their songs. So I'm kind of all over the place. But yeah, I have a playlist for the things that I generally listen to. How do you make friends while traveling yet stay safe? I don't think I've ever felt unsafe meeting or making new friends. And whenever we get somewhere, I'll normally take camp on a walk and kind of get a feel for everybody. Talk to them, yeah. say what's up. Check out kind of what they have going on at their campsite if they seem sketchy. or And make sure that they know that you're not sketchy right. and that we're not sketchy. And I always tell them, if you need anything, shout. Like, we got you. So that there's like some sort of rapport there rather than it being like you're scared of each other. Mm -hmm. But making friends on the road, I mean, we've made so many friends. I just feel like it and just most, happens. Most of our friends that we've made are people who know us from YouTube. A good number of them, yeah. Those are, I guess, the ones that we've stayed friends with. Mm-hmm. Well, I okay, think both, okay. right? Yeah. The people who know us from YouTube know what uh, they know about us and what we've got going on, and they usually are people who are pretty like-minded to us, so it's right. just almost always a very natural and easy friendship. It's like the interview's already been done. They know who we are and what we're about, so then it's like... They'll people know whether we'll be friends or not because we're pretty genuine to who we are on YouTube and stuff. So that is a super helpful thing. I make friends with girls at coffee shops mm -hmm. oftentimes just because we, before everything, went into coffee shops a lot and spent a lot of time there. But this year has been kind of quiet in the friend-making arena, and that's been nice. And I talk to people all the time. And if people seem interesting, I talk to them. So I guess making friends is just easy. I don't really have any advice aside from ask questions and don't just talk about yourself. That's good advice. What's the longest time you've gone without seeing anyone but each other? Maybe like a week. Not even, I'd say. Five days is the longest we've not gone to a town. That was when we were in Montana and we were with three other people. But during snowstorms and stuff, I feel like, especially when all the craziness began we hung out and didn't go to town for over it was a week. like once a week we would yeah. go to town and that was great yeah but usually we do go to town pretty regularly for groceries we like fresh food when we can get it and stuff oh this is a stupid question oh my god this is so brutal favorite thing you've learned about yourselves or each other while living in the scamp i feel like i've noticed you from the beginning are so paternal like your paternal aspects have come out this way because you are very much like protector and um navigator 
through everything. Like not only protecting me, but just being, you're very much a leader. And that's been evident from the beginning of this. Well, thanks. That's sweet. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times I can't click out of dad mode. Like when we're hanging with a bunch of friends and stuff, it's, I'm always trying to predict what bad thing could happen, <laughs> trying to protect against that, which I could work on. What I've learned about you, you're really tough. Like anything, there's no, nothing really rattles you anymore. Or like you get superficially rattled sometimes, but like none of the, <laughs> none of the like big things really shake you. It's like, okay, so now we deal with this. Rather than being like, ah! <laughs> cool, those are nice answers. I feel good. How do you deal with travel burnout? That sounds like the most first world problem <laughs> yeah, in the whole does. world. But and it's it a good is. question. Uh, but it is like... From this lifestyle perspective, yeah. I, I feel like it very much is a real thing. Yeah. It's a pain to always be moving and to never really have the consistency of a space that is your own aside from the vessel that you're living out of. Because any time, even if we are, and we always are totally legal in everything that we're doing, somebody can come up and be like, hey, what are you doing here? And just bother us, you know? And it's just that like constant, imminent, it's not even a threat, but just potential is obnoxious. If there is anyone in the area who walks by, if we've been there for a week and they're like, what are you doing here? Or feels, we feel that they don't want us there. We always leave. Yeah. Always. It's just not, if we feel uncomfortable, that other people feel comfortable, we just leave. Yeah. The one summer where we were moving the most rapidly that we've ever moved, we were in, um, I mean, we even went back to Kansas City for a second, but we went from, with a scamp, Eastern Colorado up to Washington and then down to Oregon in like a matter of two months, I definitely felt burnt out doing all of that, especially with a scamp because you can't stealth as easily if you want to just stay in a spot overnight quickly and then leave the next day. With a trailer, it's a lot harder to do than a van. And in a van, everything is all ready to go and packed up. So if you're doing a lot of movement, that would have been so much easier. That's part of why we travel so slowly though, because it's so much less stressful. And that used to be... It used to be so stressful traveling to a new place and figuring out where to camp and stuff. We would dread moving, yeah. but it had a lot to do with the Mini not being the most capable vehicle we right. could have had. And when the Subaru is in, like, having any kind of issues, if it's overheating or whatever, that's also something to that is stressful. But now that we're better at finding places to camp and everything, it's kind of really fun to go to a new place, as long as we're not, like... I don't know. It's all about the mood that we have going into it. Mm -hmm. If we're like, oh, this is going to be so hard. And we're like moving days negative, then it's awful. But if we just take our time and like don't rush it and uh, don't panic, then everything's always good. So I guess dealing with travel burnout, we just don't... If we're feeling like we are moving too much, we stop. Or we go get an Airbnb. <laughs> And yeah. kind of reset. Yeah, but we've got an Airbnb like... Three times. Ever, yeah. In four years. Yeah. So I guess we don't do that often, but it's a good option. Yeah, it's always there. And the hot springs are really nice for that. How do I convince my husband that this is our retirement plan? 
I don't know that I would do this as a retirement plan. This the way we do it. Yeah. But I also wouldn't do it the way that people typically do it as a retirement plan with like a big motor home and just stay in RV parks. I wouldn't choose that route either. It would be hard so to do it this way with an older body, I think, mm-hmm. having them. You just want to set it up differently, maybe. But there are a lot of people who do do this. We've met a lot of people who mm-hmm. this is their retirement and they, they love it. Yeah. But they have bathrooms in their rigs and they're traveling with a group of people. Um, sort of a caravanning caravan. and stuff. So they can lean on each other. If, if I did, if I were older, I would probably definitely have a bathroom. Even now, like we could do a composting toilet, but I would still have just a composting toilet and an outdoor shower because it's not worth the space that it takes up to have an indoor shower. Even if you're like, well, I need a shower every day. Well, still get some sort of pop-up tent or something or and shower curtain and just shower outside because it's a lot better. And it, I think, adds so much complexity yeah. and takes up so much space in the rig that you will learn how to not shower every single day. Right. And 90% of the people that we meet, even if they're old-timers, have their bathroom. You, they're just using that as storage. Because if you're kidding, almost if, always, yeah, if you're not like boondocking in forest land or whatever, then there's always, and even when you are in forest land, there's typically a bathroom nearby at a trailhead or something. So, how do you, so how do you convince your husband to do this? It depends on what this is for you, I guess. But I think just going on camping trips often to figure it out. What's one thing, if any, that you miss from living in a fixed location? My go to is a, a hot shower on demand, is the one thing that. I love the most when I come back. It's not necessarily that I miss it, but that's what I appreciate most when I come back. I like to just be able to chill and know that nobody's going to jack with me. Like, know that no ranger's going to come by and be like, hey, what's going on here? You know, there's a 14-day limit? Yes, I do. Thank you. You know, and generally they're really awesome and cool, nice men and women, but just having that, like, looming, I don't know, makes it so that it's hard to chill sometimes. That's a good answer. Biggest fear living this way. I wasn't going to include this question because I don't like focusing on the fear of this because I don't feel like there is... I think there's a general assumption that this is scary, but it's not truly scary. So I I don't like to focus on that assumption. However, a lot of people assume that it is scary, so to talk about things that are scary... Uh, makes sense. I think people are scared of animals a lot of times. Like bears, for example, that always comes up. And bears, black bears aren't typically scary. Like you can yell at them and talk to them and they'll generally run away. Um, It's still something to be mindful of, but they're not typically scary. I guess people are a rational thing to be scared of, but generally the people that are out in the woods are good people. And they're pretty laid back and not scary people. Uh, I think if you contrast this with living in a city, for example, then there's a lot more rational things to be scared of, even driving your car. So, yeah, it may seem like superficially scary, but there, if we're thinking about it from a rational perspective, there's a lot more, lot higher threat in a city than there is in the woods. I guess I would say I have been most scared of the idea of a forest fire or a flash flood taking us out in my sleep like waking up to in the middle of the night to a major thunderstorm has been terrifying in the past 
because we were next. This one, the one time I'm thinking of, you were breaking out. We were close to a creek, and it was a pretty gushing creek to begin with, and it was raining like a pretty torrential storm. So we could have just slid off into the creek. Very, very unlikely, but there is a slight possibility, I guess. But yeah, the forest fires that was uh, that kept us on our toes for sure. And just always camping somewhere that we know that we had two ways out. How did quarantine influence your relationship? I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Because we had a reason to be stuck together. <laughs> right? Like, it, it wasn't like um, we're just stuck together. It was like, okay, w- this is a, this is weird. And yeah. we're stuck together. You gotta together. figure this out. Uh, and uh, the fact that everybody else slowed down kind of like took the foot off of the pedal, you know, like we can slow down too. Well, because we generally are slowed down, but it feels this, there's always a sense that we need to be hustling right. because everyone else is. So then when nobody else was, it was like a sweep. This is our natural state. And yeah. now the pressure is off. And when the pressure is off, it feels like a more, I feel like I can create more easily and better yeah. things because there's not so much pressure. Yeah, but with all that, there wasn't. Like, we often get people commenting, like, oh, when's the next video? Like, as soon as we post a video, the first few comments will be like, I'm excited for the next video. It's like, we know we're trying. You know, so it's hard to um, relax, I guess, with that. But that made it easy. And it, it validated my sort of thinking that societal systems are pretty fragile and can't be trusted all the way so you gotta have some sort of level of self-reliance um and like have systems available to take care of yourselves and uh that was pretty validating to see like i would rather it not be like that like i'd rather not be proven right in that context but it was kind of interesting to be like okay yeah maybe we should have extra food on hand in case of whatever and maybe we should have the Berkey water filter and a way to cook with wood or whatever. In terms of relationship, we had been practicing living like this for a long time. So it wasn't really a big shift to be close together for long periods of time. Did you ever feel like giving up on your relationship? If so, what kept binding you guys despite thinking of splitting? I feel like this lifestyle is the best test for a relationship. It's either going to make you realize that you are a great team and that you are committed to continuing to be a great team or that maybe you're not the best team. (laughs) I think putting it in the context of a team, like we're on the same team versus this is my girlfriend or spouse or whatever. And this is my boyfriend or spouse or whatever is, uh, a good way to frame it because then you're working together versus like, Oh, well she did this and that sucks. You know, it's like you got to figure it out and you both take on whatever responsibilities you can and like work things out rather than like being so polarized. In the beginning it was challenging, but I don't think there was anything more challenging than other things that we'd gone and done together before the scamp. Like it's just relationship things. But then we're in a tiny space figuring out completely new things, but we were figuring those things out together, which is what I think helped a lot. It was like the challenges were different in a way that felt like we're doing this together. 
it's it's hard, but we're doing this together. When we were first beginning, or even before we started, I feel like there were a lot of things that you were like, what? Like, how are we going to do this? Like, I remember saying, how do we make the scamp livable? That was like a constant sort of question. And I was like, well, we can just <laughs> stay alive in it and it'll be fine. But that was a tough thing initially. How do we make this more like what we're used to? Now, like, we're such a team that it's like, what would we do then? I don't know. Biggest challenge, worst problem living in the scamp. Biggest challenge, I think it was probably, like I said earlier, learning how to be dirty. That was really, really hard to get over the, um, the very much learned practice that you have to be shiny, squeaky clean all the time. And how to, how to not get dirty too. Mm -hmm. Like how to use layers if you start to get hot, peel layers. And learning that it's a lot easier to wash off my body than it is to do laundry. So like not wearing a shirt when I get hot and then I can just shower off or jump in the creek and then clean myself off. That was hard. I think he, dealing with moisture is difficult and continues to be. Mm -hmm. That's why we like arid environments more. Yeah, moisture ruins everything and it's unavoidable no matter where we are. Because if it's hot in the scamp and cold outside, then we've got condensation. The wood stove helps a ton though. So that's been a game changer. What are some things that were extremely unexpected or challenging at first, but you've grown to love and appreciate? Cold weather. I guess we didn't not expect cold weather, you know? It wasn't like, mm -hmm. oh my God, it's snowing in Colorado at 10,000 feet. But it was extremely challenging at yeah, first. Yeah, it was. And I didn't really appreciate it very much. I appreciate it now because nobody else likes cold weather. So we get camping areas to ourselves, forest land completely to ourselves. I have a feeling that if we keep making videos about it, though, I think more people will probably catch on to its amazingness. Yeah. So maybe we'll stop. But yeah, so cold weather was hard. What else? Uh, traveling and finding places to camp can sometimes be really challenging. We really have to pre-vet out an area before we go there to see if it will be suitable for how we like to live. But now that we know how to do that, it can be often really, really fun mm -hmm. to get to go from a really awesome view on a mountain down to a really epic creek. It seems like serendipity, like serendipitous occurrences are a lot more frequent when we're in a new place or traveling or trying to figure things out. It's wild how that works. I think it's just because we're open to the newness. We're not stuck in the routine of what we were doing. And I think we're like hyper-conscious, really focused and trying to figure things out. So I think that makes it like you see what would be considered to be a coincidence. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. Let's follow that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the end of our questions. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Stay tuned if you want to see the new scamp and all of its awesome updates. Okay, bye. Next time you see us, we will probably be back in the scamp. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at normal2nomad.com slash podcast. If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.